So, good evening, Sangha. So, we are going to be practicing together for the next, I guess it's four full days, which is an incredible treat. Uh, And it's interesting how something that is incredibly wholesome and worthwhile and um, positive it can be blissful, and it could be the opposite of blissful, but it's still incredibly meaningful and helpful and useful. So, I want to start off by acknowledging that we are on, that the land that the Insight Meditation Society occupies is the original homelands of the Nipmuc Nation bordered by the Wampanoag nations, and that we aspire to honor and respect the indigenous peoples who were forcibly removed from and are still connected to this territory by continuing to establish meaningful, reciprocal relationships with indigenous people and communities. And I want to also invite all of our ancestors and devas into the room. That's one really beautiful thing about the Theravada tradition, that we actually have those as helpers. We can invite all of our ancestors in with us. If that works for you, if it doesn't, please feel free not to do that. (laughs) But if it does, we can invite our ancestors in too. And all the devas in the deva realms. I love when I'm doing walking meditation Sometimes if I get a little carried away or a little spaced out, I love to send metta to the devas, to send loving kindness to the devas. They really like that. They like, a deva is an angel, you know, devas. The devas. (laughs) Oh, I guess that's right, it's a poly term. Thank you. (laughs) The devas is a poly term for kind of like an angel or a spirit, uh, someone on the spirit realm. There's a lot of different realms in our beloved Buddhist tradition not just the human realm, there's others. And I think physics is catching up with that. Um, So I want to um, just acknowledge our ancestors and our devas, uh, and they're happy to see us all in ceremony. The way that I um, really hold a retreat is that it's a deep ceremony, a ceremonial practice that sometimes is blissful and other times is difficult, but it's always, always meaningful and helpful. I also want to uh, have a, just express a very deep welcome from all of us on the teaching team and IMS more generally about all of those people here who um, maybe represent communities that have been historically marginalized or can't afford to do these retreats or Uh, any way that uh, communities uh, or anyone representing communities that have been historically just invisible or silenced or closeted. So communities like us women, wit-wit, as old people, (laughs) elders and women and young people, all of you youngsters out there, people who would be considered poor or aren't making, you know, a lot of money or impacted by uh, 
just the disparities and in incomes in our beloved community here. Uh, poor people, people of color, any immigrants in the room, you are absolutely welcome here. Queer people, LGBTQ, any trans people, gender, non-binaries, people who are uniquely gendered and uniquely abled people, you are absolutely welcomed here. And thank you so much for contributing to our community here. We really appreciate you all coming and being with us today. And all of us, you know, we are going to be a community for the next four days. And um, that's a way for us all just to, um, you know, recognize that those things absolutely happen. And um, I just want to say that I do a lot of training on um, health disparities and things like that. And the first thing I like to say is that, you know, I work in this field and I see racism, sexism, homophobia, all that stuff right here. And it's good for us to see it and say, oh, I see you, Mara. I see you, you know, delusion. And then we don't have to uh, act on it. So I will take a minute to introduce myself. We are all going to do that. So my name is Bonnie Duran. And uh, I'm a mixed-race Opelousas Kushata descendant, uh, an indigenous person. And I met the Dharma in 1982. Uh, I did my very first uh, mindfulness or Vipassana retreat, actually so lucky, in Budgaya, India in 1982 and um, just fell in love with the practice and I've been practicing ever since then and uh, I teach here at uh, Spirit Rock I help out with their teacher training program and uh, I'm lucky enough to be invited to teach a retreat or two thank you Pascal <laughs> and uh, I also am on the teachers council at Spirit Rock Meditation Center which many of you know is the other big center uh, but IMS is really the mothership of Western mindfulness. This is where, you know, the people who really brought it out to uh, mental health and other, the health field, learned how to meditate here. So I just adore this place. And uh, I'm sure those of you are, who are new here will also, hopefully you can appreciate, uh, appreciate, the Insight Meditation Society. I also have a day job. I'm actually a professor of public health and social work at the University of Washington in Seattle, Washington. And I do work predominantly or pretty much exclusively with tribal communities in the U.S. And, um, but I'm very happy to be here with all of you. And, um, oh yeah, I also want to say that I winked at my partner on match <laughs> because he was um, he was a Buddhist. He was a heritage Buddhist. Are there any heritage Buddhists in the room? People who were born Buddhist or grew up in a Buddhist tradition? Oh, we have uh, one. Thank you for being here. Uh, and uh, I winked at him because he was a born Buddhist. He was a member of the Jodo Shinshu tradition. And because he works for a tribe in Seattle in the Pacific Northwest for the Muckleshoot tribe. So I said, wow, that's a good combination. So I winked at him. <laughs> but anyway, through him, <laughs> that might be t TMI, but 
too much information, but my point was I just wanted to say that I also am a member of the Jodu Chinchu Buddhist Church of America, which is a beautiful tradition as well that I really love. And it's a very uh, excellent Buddhist church. And I'm sure where many of you live, there is probably a Buddhist church, a Buddhist temple in that tradition there. And you might check it out. It's the most welcoming, beautiful place. Their number one... um, target is really sangha making sure that sangha is welcome and well taken care of so i just want to put that out there too so i think oh yeah i just wanted to say a little bit about who's with us for this wonderful retreat so how many people uh this is your first retreat that you're doing great so we have a few of you there And how many people are new to IMS, to the Insight Meditation Society? Oh, okay. Excellent. So you are all so welcome here. And I think we have about uh, 15 people of color who have self-identified, just to throw this out there. We have five LGBTQ gender diverse people. And... um, there's always lots of women in our in the Dhamma, but there seems to be some men here tonight. That's good. <laughs> and um, one of the things that we have been doing recently is to make sure that everyone feels comfortable because one of the things that it's really important uh, in getting into uh, good meditation or deep meditation is to not try too hard, but also to be relaxed. And sometimes we don't even know that we are not relaxed until we get into an environment that, you know, makes us more relaxed. So um, if there is a need, sometimes we will set up affinity sits that for one sit during the day, uh, maybe it'll be a small group of POC will sit together someplace on the campus or LGBTQ people or other groups, but we don't know whether that's needed yet, so we're, we're going to wait and see how things unfold. But uh, that's just a way of saying that we are so happy that you are all here, and um, we are going to do our best as a community up here to um, set the environment with all of you to have a wonderful retreat together. Regardless of whether it feels good or not, it doesn't matter. <laughs> so thank you and, and welcome. You are all so welcome here. Wow, what a beautiful start, Bunny. Thank you so much. Wow, that was excellent. So, so beautiful, the way you... Uh, you made, make the space really welcoming. And uh, I, I wish, did we record this? <laughs> yes! I want to learn this by heart. <laughs> <laughs> I'm never going to do it as naturally and beautifully like you do. Um, yeah, hello, hi. <laughs> I'm uh, I'm I'm very happy to to be here. To, I'm I'm happy that we are here, uh, embarking on retreat. That's such a such a strange thing to do, such a beautiful, strange, unique thing to do. Such a 
chance that we have to um, you know go into silence together I uh, yeah I'm uh, I'm uh, I'm amazed that we have the, the the opportunity to to do this together and uh, and that each one of us uh, is here for for this um, um, my name is Pascal. I'm uh, I'm uh, I'm uh, from Montreal, uh, straight up five six hours up north. Uh, so I'm uh, Quebecois, um, Canadian. Was admitted in the United States, <laughs> <laughs> and. Um, uh, I, I'm arriving. We're all arriving, so it's going to take me a, maybe a little time to find the, the words, or you know. To, I hope it's okay with you. Um, yeah, like Bunny, I'm really aware of um, um, a no, um, lineage. So we're sitting here, and you know how the the mind, maybe the Western modern mind, can kind of shrink time. You know, like time is for me here these days. You know, like very uh, kind of weak year. And um, when we come to these gatherings, for me, uh, some uh, often my my notion, perception of time expands. You know, and there's a sense of deep time. So we're sitting here together, coming together, doing things that people have done for thousands of years. Gathering, you know, through cultures and different times and doing the same thing of coming together in silence. And, uh, and I like to think that, um, yes, we're doing this for ourselves to gain some wisdom, some uh, opening of the heart, some uh, gain, yeah, some, you know, vibrancy or stability uh, but also we are together keeping something alive and that's I think it's a beautiful view you know that we come together for our own awakening but we are also keeping something alive that is precious that is not um, maybe that um, valued uh, in dominant culture and uh, and so it's uh, it's almost you could think of it as a political act you know or, or something like keeping something alive that is not in acquiring you know but in uh, the way I see it these days becoming very sensitive to uh, the human experience, the, the fragility of it, the, the, the sensitivity of that experience, how, how not easy it is to have a body and mind and heart and, and how we have this in common and to, um, yeah, to wake up to this together so spending time just becoming really aware uh, of uh, 
yeah, how it's fluctuating in the heart or in the body and how we share this, truly we share this. And that's a, a way to, uh, you know, to, to, um, to end, I think, the biases that you were naming and the, you know, the, the way we give value to some beings and not to others and see some and don't see others by becoming so intimate with human experience like this and having this insight, wow, it's like this for everyone that has senses and a heart and a psyche. So it becomes clear to us that we need to be tender with each other, to care, consider, see, you know, honor, Anyway, so we're keeping this alive, these practices of wisdom and the development of courage and all the other things, because others are coming. And they might very well need these. And it's important that they stay alive in bodies, in an embodied way. And so we're doing our bit here uh, this week. It's beautiful. So, it's, yeah, I like to, I don't know if it talks to you, but for me it's good for my body, mind, brain to expand the notion of time outside of moi, you know, just me here and how I'm doing. That's bigger than this. It's bigger than this. And, um, and in a way we're indebted, indebted, indebted. I know you can correct <laughs> pretty much anything I'll do all, wrong the whole week in this speech. Um, to people we actually have never met. Isn't that beautiful? People we have never met who have lived in other cultures, in other regions of the world at different times, have kept things alive for us to benefit from. And so uh, that's how connected we are, even with people who have lived uh, at another time that we'll never know. And a lot of these practices uh, have been, uh, you know, um, well, they were born in Asia and cultivated and protected and nurtured there. And so it's good for us to become aware of this, that suddenly something happening in rural mass you know, is, uh, is uh, uh, you know, coming from far away uh, and was really well taken care of and still is. Something that I like to be aware of also uh, is that what we are going to do here this week is... Um, can only happen in a field of generosity. Um, and so, so we can see it with what I'm saying. When, you know, we're the recipient of the generosity of others uh, in the past. And between ourselves, you know, how important generosity will be. A hundred people stuck together, <laughs> if you want to put it this way, you know, for five, six days you know, requires tenderness, kindness, forgiveness, uh, requires uh, generosity of spirit. When you reach the, 
coat room or cloth room, whatever the name of this place is, you know, and you want to access your boots and jacket and or just go through the door and there's a hundred people. <laughs> it takes a lot of care, you know, and patience and all the different beautiful quality that we're coming here to strengthen. And so thank you very much for putting these in the foreground as values uh, which will make this community become a community. You know, now it might be still individuals coming together. But we have a community of intention here, of, uh, of caring. And so I thank you for uh, being aware of this and uh, you know, cultivating this uh, together. Because imperfection there will be. You know, that's part of the human nature, I think, to be very much imperfect in all different kinds of ways. We'll see this clearly in ourselves and others uh, this, this week. And this team is not, uh, you know, uh, exempt from that, you know, human beings coming together. And so it's good to actually, I think, name this, that uh, in the field there is, you know, imperfections in all kinds of ways. And so it's also, I think, good because when we come to do a practice like we'll do, sometimes the imagery might have a little something oppressive. Not that I want to critic Buddhism in any way. (laughs) You know, I'm here practicing and it's one of the most uh, richest thing in my life. And there's an imagery of, uh, you know, perfection that we can misunderstand, you know, and, you know, use it as a you know, a weapon against ourselves, you know, that we should sit perfectly and feel the breath perfectly and serve food perfectly and perfectly walk slowly. And, you know, and it can be very oppressive. And it's not, it's not, uh, I think that's not what we're trying to do here. We're just trying to slow down and listen and get acquainted with uh, reality. Um, And so, you know, the mind will be uneven. You know, it's a promise. <laughs> you know, and so um, maybe we'll have the, we have the chance now or later during the week to let go of some of the demands, expectations that we have on ourselves and people around us. And that might be what freedom means, certainly partly, you know, freeing the mind from its own, uh, you know, uh, Perfectionism. Um, maybe one other thing that comes to mind that I'd like to mention is um, is uh, silence. Silence in um, in many of our cultures or dominant culture is a really perfect vehicle for hatred. You know, I'm not talking to you. I'm mad at you, and you're you're gonna know about it by my silence. You know. Or maybe it's a way to express individualistic kind of uh, ways of being, you know. Or taboo in many of our families, silence meant we don't talk about this. And so it's very tricky, especially when we come to retreat for the first time and there's silence. We might uh, feel it as oppressive. And here we're trying to uh, go back to another kind of silence, a spiritual kind of silence. It's an old, old, ancient, ancestral way to develop the heart and wisdom and many beautiful qualities through 
coming together and offering each other the gift of solitude. It's a very precious gift. A hundred people coming together and offering each other space, time, silence, and solitude together. And so as you you might notice uh, here, uh, some of us will uh, lower the gaze as we walk about. So not making eye contact. This is a gift. I'm giving you your space. So you don't have to have the social mask on all the time. You know, and keep relating, relating, you know. Like, I want you to feel your body, to feel your grief, your joy, your lightness, your whatever is there, numbness, you know, so that you don't have to. So you might want to participate in this. So silence of the, uh, the eyes, in a way. Just lowering the gaze a little bit as we eat or move about. I know you're here. I want you, know, you to be well. And I'm giving you space here. So thank you for engaging with the, this practice. Silence is extremely fragile. You open your mouth and it's gone, you know. And so here we really want to value this, honor this, take really good care of it. It takes uh, extra effort to uh, really honor it from beginning to end. If you came with a friend, partner, family member, uh, whatever the deal you had between you, let me come in <laughs> and say, hey, I'm wishing you a good retreat. I'm going to see you on the other side. And I really want to know what happened to you. But I'm giving you the unusual gift of solitude so you can find in your own heart amazing resources that are there Around this, tomorrow morning at 8.30, um, uh, when we'll meet every morning at 8.30, there'll be, um, there'll be uh, 8.30, yeah. uh, there'll be um, instructions given. So we'll talk about the practice of the day. It's very important that you're here. Tomorrow morning at the first instruction sit, we'll do a very ancestral ritual that Roberta mentioned maybe where we'll be invited to give up our devices, send them on their own retreats. I'm giving you the gift of solitude. And after the retreat, we'll exchange what happened for each other. <laughs> you know? And as a good friend of ours, uh, uh, often say, uh, Anushka, uh, she says, now we're going to come and check the weather here, check the news here, you know, check check if we exist here instead of, uh, you know. So the relationship will need the password to here. <laughs> you know? And so really inviting you to participate in this. We can really imagine that with a hundred people, there's a couple of people here who need to stay in contact with a sick child or elderly parent. But I think for the very most of us here, we're able maybe to send the last text if it was not clear and say, hey, here's the emergency number. You know, call the front office. If anything happened, they'll tell me. And uh, we'll check uh, Wednesday afternoon. Okay? And in this way, you're doing this for yourself. B- big gift. Big, big gift for the whole community. Because if you were 
chatting, uh, you know, uh, agitably in your room, and you come in this room, you know, it'll, the body will, will it'll be transparent, you know. It'll be hard for you to sit. It'll be hard for people to sit next to you, you know, for us to be together. So we're, we're creating a space that is something else than the physical space here. It's a space of intention towards calm and attending to uh, things that are here in this body-heart. So thank you very much for uh, taking care of this. Um, and I think I'll stop uh, here for tonight. I'll have the chance to say more words uh, later. Um, I wish you a really uh, rich retreat. And I'm so... Um, feel so lucky to be here doing this with you. Thank you. Yeah, there it is. Ah. <laughs> you press it down to turn it off. And up to turn it on. My name is Jeff Houses. And I'm very grateful to be here with all of you tonight. This is my second time at IMS. My first time was 10 years ago. I was in a program called the Community Dharma Leaders Program. Uh, that Spirit Rock held, and I came for a People of Color retreat. Um, as my colleague Bonnie Duran got to sit on the on the stage and and share and teach, it was such an honor. Um, but I have so much gratitude to be here, and I'm very thankful to have the opportunity to sit here and to um, really help in sharing the Dharma. Um, I'm a member of the uh, teacher training program at Spirit Rock. So that's really where my my Dharma practice began. Um, actually began uh, in 1994. I saw an astrologer, and she said, you need to learn to meditate. And it was one of the, she said, and quit drinking coffee. So two, one out of two is not bad. I, I still drink coffee. Um, it took a couple of years, and I wound up in San Francisco in the Bay Area, and she recommended a book called uh, A Gradual Awakening by Stephen, Stephen Levine. Great book. Um, and I was reading. I was like, oh, there's a meditation place here. And I had been laid off from my job, and I didn't have a lot to do, so I went to Spirit Rock to check it out, and I really I discovered the Dharma. And um, since then, it's just been a matter of, really becoming more and more immersed in, in my own practice and to have the opportunity to share and participate um, with such a wonderful teaching team here at such a beautiful place is, is a great um, honor for me. Um, 
my background, I'm, I'm a person of color. Um, my grandfather was named Hauzos, which uh, in the Apache language is, uh, denotes pulling a plant up like a carrot out of the ground as opposed to breaking it off. Apaches were named um, based on some characteristic they had when they were young. So the most famous uh, renowned member of our tribe is Geronimo. And as a child, his, his name is Goyatla, which meant yawning, yawning baby. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So um, I, my dad changed his name to Hauser. I changed it back to Hauser a few years ago. And I spent a number of years um, in, in the leadership of my tribe, Fort Sill Apache tribe, which are descendants of, of people who were prisoners of war with Geronimo. So Sam Houses, my grandfather, and his wife uh, were held for 28 years as prisoners of the United States. Um, and I found that the Dharma practice is a way for me to hold that loss, really, and, and to really feel. It's really been essential for me to work in the community and be around um, the intergenerational tr- transmitted trauma of that loss and to hold that. And, you know, we all suffer trauma. Right, that's the human condition. Some groups suffer a lot more of it than others, perhaps. Um, but it, but life is painful, so this practice is such a special way of allowing yourself to be, or my, for me, allowing myself to be with whatever trauma arises in my life. Um, it could be you know, being late for the airport, something like that. Those kinds of things happen more frequently now. It's not necessarily the loss of of land or, or, or lineage, but everybody experiences trauma. And so, um, yeah, I'm happy to be here. Um, and I don't know, there any, is anybody of Native heritage in the group? I know that we have POCs. Anybody from Native Americans here? Oh, good, we have one. We have one. Um, and, you know, actually in this uh, community Dharma leader program that I was talking about, I didn't think I was a person of color until Bonnie cornered me. She said, you're a POC. You're Apache. Of course you're a POC. So I don't look at it, and for the most of my life I've passed. So, you know, it's really a complicated thing. What is what is race, and what does it mean to be a POC? What does it mean to be... Um, uh, multi-cultural, uh, you know, and what is your identity? Is there an identity? Does it even matter? Of course it matters in the outside world. Does it matter in here? So we look inside and see. But I, I wanted to, um, part of what I'm going to do, I'm just looking to see if I left anything off. Um, yes, yeah, so I'm so grateful to be here and so grateful for this practice. Um, you know, one other thing that resonated uh, that Pascal was talking about was this uh, imagery of perfection. You know, as a, um, I'm really kind of a first-generation American because my grandparents were prisoners. My father was like a first-generation firstborn. And the only piece of I got, advice I got from him was to be the best. Just be the best. Not do your best, not be happy, but be the best. Like the Buddha, right? 
So that's when I when I met that astrologer. That was my mindset. That was my um, my refuge. That's where I went to for happiness. Was try to be better than everybody else. And it's really a no-win situation, or it, it's a situation that brings suffering into your life. And so, you know, now it's more a matter of of progressing toward happiness and getting better and better in in my practice. Um, but part of what I'm going to do tonight is share with you um, the refuges. So it's a common practice at the beginning of a retreat to take refuge in the Buddha, the Dharma, and the Sangha. You know, back in the Buddha's day, if somebody went to see a spiritual teacher, they would go and say, I want to take refuge with you. And they would ask and if they were allowed, then they would become, I guess it was uh, the monks in the Buddhist day would come and become part of the, the Sangha and sit with the Buddha. And so now, you know, in taking refuge, two ways of looking at it. One is that you sit down and you ask, you ask the Buddha for help. You look, look to the Dharma, the teachings for help, and you look to the Sangha, those people that we're not, that we've never met, that we're indebted to. Another way of looking at it is you express gratitude. You're grateful for the teachings. You're grateful how they came to the West. You're grateful how they came here. So um, there are phrases which I will chant in Pali. Um, and uh, how many of you have chanted the Refuges in Pali. Okay. I'll just do a quick run through in English real quick. So there's an opening homage. Um, I guess it. Um, okay. And I forgot the translation of the opening homage. Is I, um, homage to the, the self-enlightened one, the perfect one, perfectly enlightened one. So it's homage to the Buddha. You say that three times. And then you go into the actual um, refuges and you'll say, I give refuge to the Buddha, refuge to the Dharma, refuge to the Sangha. Then you'll say Dutyampi, which means the second time, go to the Buddha for refuge, go to the Dharma refuge, go to the Sangha for refuge. And then a third time, Tatyampi, I go to the Buddha for refuge, I go to the Dharma for refuge, I go to the Sangha for refuge. So I'm going to try to do a call and response. So I will, um, I'm not quite sure how, how many syllables I should call out. So let me try holding my hand up when I say it. And then I'll, I'll go like this for you to go. So the first is Namo Tasa Bhagavato Arahato Sama Sambuddhasa. And that's the opening. So. Namo tasa bhagavato arahato samasambuddhasa. Namo tasa bhagavato arahato samasambuddhasa. Namo tasa bhagavato Arato Sama Sambuddhasa 
Pudam Saranam Gachami Dhamam Saranam Gachami Sangam Saranam Gachami Tutiampi Buddham Saranam Gachami Tutiampi Tamam Saranam Gachami Tutiampi Sangam Saranam Gachami Tatiampi Buddham Saranam Gachami Tatiampi Tamam Saranam Gachami Tatiampi Sangam Saranam Gachami Thank you. Just one other thing I'll add, which I forgot to mention before, um, in my own, is my own personal practice. I do this every day before I sit. If I sit more than once a day, I'll just do it the first time. But I also add my own personal thanks um, to my parents and their parents and their parents. As far back as I, I know their names, and that's about on the native side, about five generations back. Because each of us, we're sitting here because of the love that our parents had for us. And on and on and on and on. The love that brought us here and back and back. And it, to thank them and whether or not, you know, whether or not there's a place where, where people go after they die or there's a, a spirits that can hear us, it doesn't matter for me. It helps me bring the gratitude into my life of being alive and being a human being today. So I want to thank you. Thanks. So I come to you today from unceded Coast Salish land that's known to most as Vancouver, BC. We've got a very balanced team up here, two people who identify as POC, two women, two Canadians. (laughs) So some other identities I claim are scientist and musician and uh, person who um, is never quite sure if she's queer enough to count as queer. So I'm I'm here for those of you who are in the, the same boat. Um, so I've, I've loved the, um, 
invitation of including ancestors here. And um, my mom has been doing ancestral research recently, and apparently uh, in the early 1700s, one of my forebears had a farm in Rutland, which is like a very short drive from here. And that's the, one of the ways my family came to Canada was as political refugees during the Revolutionary War. They, that side of the family took their promises to the British crown seriously, and so they couldn't stay in the place where they'd built their life. Um, and uh, yeah, so I'm from a long line of people who've picked the wrong sides in political conflicts <laughs> and economic migrants and people who had a lot of persistence and ingenuity in spite of all of the things that life threw at them. And uh, so I'm here in appreciation for the tenacity of, of all of my forebears. And I'm also appreciating the reminder of the role of generosity in this practice and the role of a contextual awareness. You know, that's really central to the practice. The, the Buddha in the Satipatthana Sutta, which you know, if you were to read only one thing that's been recorded of what the Buddha said, that would be the thing. You know, in the refrain, he says over and over again, so we practice in this way internally, we practice in this way externally, we practice both internally and externally. And for me, that's a really powerful pointing to the fact that, you know, we're not, you know, I, I mean, you could try, but it's not going to work if if you sit down on the cushion and just try to make this hermetically sealed like globe of fuzzy, warm feelings around yourself. Like that's not, I mean, if you figure out how to do that, let me know because it sounds awesome. But um, that's not actually what the Buddha taught. You know, he says we're here to sensitize ourselves to the impact that our actions have on ourselves and the impact that our actions have on others. And with, with that full awareness of the context in which we're operating, you know, not only do we feel the need to go for refuge to something that's more reliable than our habits of perfectionism or people-pleasing or material accumulation, like whatever it is that we've relied on to feel okay in our conventional lives, we go, we set the intention to become a refuge for others, to be a safe person to be around to be consistent in aligning our actions with our deepest values, our deepest wish for happiness, for freedom, for ease, and offering the other other people the gift of knowing that they can be safe around us. And so one of the things that we do um, at the beginning of a period of collective practice like this is to set some, some really specific boundaries around our actions and the ways that they affect other people. The Buddha often uses the word bhavana for meditation. It just means cultivation. You know, what, how are you getting those carrots that you're pulling, pulling up whole from the ground? And before you can grow carrots, you need to pull out the weeds. So the Buddha instructs us on what kinds of weeds to pull out. Um, and I love that it's that that he does. So... He says, don't take what's not yours instead of always be generous, right? Because there's times when maybe 
other people don't want to receive what you have to give. There's times when maybe it's not appropriate to give. But if we've pulled out the weed of greed and taking and disrespecting other people's boundaries and, and valid needs, then we can have more trust that whatever plants grow in that weeded uh, tract of land will be wholesome ones. So we, we uproot the weed of harming other living beings. We set the intention to be physically safe to be around, to not, um, not touch another being with hostile intent, to respect their, their personal space, just to, ref- to make ourselves physically harmless. We, set the int- we uproot the weed of taking what's, what hasn't been freely offered to us. So around the, the center, you'll see things with dana written on them. Um, those, are, those are things that have been freely offered to be used in the place where, where, they, uh, where they were offered. So if you see a jar of hand cream with dana on it, please use it there and not take it back to your room, for example. Um, but yeah, so letting up, having that clarity that that is our intention and the consistency of um, maintaining that boundary lets other people relax around us. They know their stuff is safe with us. We set a boundary around sexuality. You know, it's such a powerful force. It can be a very beautiful force within the context of a, a loving relationship, and it can cause so much harm. And so in this, um, in this context, we're setting the intention to uh, refrain from all intentional se- sexual activity. And that includes how we look at each other. You know, it, imagine a place where you knew you weren't being sized up. You know, imagine how relaxing that would be. You know, and from your own side to not be... Cater- I, don't, I don't know if any of you remember from the early internet the website Hot or Not... Like, people would go and, like, rate pictures as attractive or unattractive. And so, but that's sort of the cultural tendency writ large. Like, we tend to put people in boxes of attractive or unattractive or invisible and assign them a worth accordingly. And what if it were okay to just let all of that go, to let that categorizing part of your mind rest? and to know that you're not being categorized. Imagine the trust that could exist within the group if you knew that you know, your body was yours to experience from the inside, that it wasn't being sized up from the outside. We set the intention to use speech wisely. So we've already talked about um, the kinds of speech we refrain from, so all the speech that's mediated by devices we just let go of. We refrain from unnecessary... So there may, there may be speech that's necessary in the context of your yogi job, so don't get silly about t- trying to do everything in mime. You know, It's better to ask the cook, should I, should I chop 10 carrots, than to try to go some sort of like acting out carrots. So, th- so there may be necessary speech during the course of your yogi jobs, and that's fine. And the rest of the time, just really letting go that that you know performative connecting aspect of our lives that 
Pascal was referring to. One time on retreat here, I, was, I noticed I was sort of walking through the halls with like this like, ex- exaggeratedly cheery expression on my face, like, yeah, <laughs> just sort of waiting for that connection, and it, just, it wasn't coming, and I just felt really like I, I'm putting on this act, and there's no audience for it, and what do I... Ugh. And just letting all of that go, just letting that persona drop, and just, okay, so who am I when I'm not entertaining anybody, when I'm not trying to look good for anybody, when I'm not, when I'm not in relationship, like when I'm just experiencing myself from the inside? Who even am I? So that might, having this silence where, you know, nobody's writing you notes and nobody's calling you and nobody's texting you, will give you a chance to experience that for yourself. And the fifth precept we, we undertake is to refrain from intoxicants that cloud the mind. <clears throat> so this is, this is an interesting one. Because, um, you know, some people get confused and think that that means they should go off their meds. Don't do that. Uh, a condition of you being on here is sticking with any medications that have been prescribed by a doctor. So talk it over with, with one of us or retreat support if you have questions about that. Um, what we mean is recreational drugs, uh, alcohol. Um, sometimes people get the idea that microdosing hallucinogens will make for a better retreat experience. Please don't do that. Like, I'm begging you, please don't do that. Um, and, and so, so yeah, so we're, we're setting the intention to show up for our life just the way it is without fancying it up with any substances that would alter our state of consciousness. And, you know, I, I sometimes think the Buddha had it really easy because, um, in, for intoxicants, like, what did he have, like, beer? You know, like the whole, like maybe there were some mushrooms. I don't know. Like, you know, nowadays in terms of substances, there's a much broader range. And in terms of distractions, like, you know, what what games might the Buddha have had? Like backgammon? <laughs> you know, and anybody who's played a video game know that that's a whole other level of addiction and distraction and, you know, impingement on the mind. And so I feel like this practice of... Um, renouncing our devices is actually a really intense practice of the fifth precept of, you know, the intention for showing up unmediated, undistracted, unconfused. So, um, yeah, so by pulling the weeds of, of all of these habits of mind that keep us oriented towards the outside world, like what I need more, I'll get it even if it means taking it, um, I'll hurt anybody who gets in my way. You know, but we let go of all of those energies and it's a really deep practice of simplicity, of renunciation. We're decluttering our minds in a really, really profound way. Letting go of the idea that we have to have the external way, world be a certain way in order to be happy, seeing if we can find sources of happiness on the inside that are not so dependent on having the exact kind of food we like or having other people re- re- 
affirming our social sense of ourselves. So it's Buddhists are pleasure seekers. It's just we keep on looking for more and more refined and reliable pleasures. So, yeah, so in acknowledgement of the way that um, we're all intending to be safe for each other to be around, of the aspiration we have to store up for ourselves, what the Buddha called the bliss of blamelessness, um, let's, let's formally take the refuges as uh, so the precepts. That's where we're talking about the precepts together. So let, we'll do it in English, and I'll just say a chunk of words, and we can repeat it back. You can, if you like, you can put your hands in Anjali position or not. It's fine. So for the sake of our practice here together, for the sake, sake of our, our practice, practice here together, together, I undertake the training... I undertake the training to refrain from harming living beings, to refrain from harming living beings. For the sake of our practice here together, for the sake of our practice here together, I undertake the training, I undertake the training to refrain from taking what's not given, to refrain from taking what's not given. For the sake of our practice here together, for the sake of our practice here together, I undertake the training, I undertake the training to refrain from all sexual activity, to refrain from all sexual activity. For the sake of our practice here together, for the sake of our practice here together, I undertake the training, I undertake the training to refrain from harmful speech, to refrain from harmful speech. For the sake of our practice here together, for the sake of our practice here together, I undertake the training, I undertake the training to refrain from intoxicants that cloud the mind, to refrain from intoxicants that cloud the mind. Well spoken. So we'll finish tonight with just a brief uh, meditation. And I'd like to spend a few minutes talking a little bit more about gratitude. So close your eyes and feel your body Feel what it's like to be sitting here held by the earth. And reflect on how fortunate it is to be able to spend a few days in a room with people whose intentions are non-harming, supported by a meditation center, by a staff, who through their own love and dedication provide us with food and, and shelter. Think about how, how good it is that you can take the time and that you have taken the time to get to know yourself.
and perhaps bring some gratitude to whatever causes and conditions allow you to step away from your outside daily life. Somebody, people who take care of the things that you normally do when you're when you're not on retreat. Children, pets, jobs. All the people who are contributing to the ability to practice this this set of practices. Just take a few minutes and feel any gratitude that might arise.
What a precious gift we've been given to come together in community. To sit in silence and ceremony. So I'm going to ring the bell soon so we can all get a chance to go rest, prepare for the next few days. Either now in the remaining few moments or later this evening, it might be helpful to think, to ask yourself, what am I going to do with this precious gift? How am I going to use this gift of time and space that What intention can I bring to best use the time for this ceremony? Right. And just one other reminder, as uh, the bell rings, it will begin the formal period of silence for the retreat. So... Thank you for your practice, and we'll start again at 6.15 tomorrow morning. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.